You're driving down the highway looking at the beautiful scenery, and suddenly from the back seat, Daddy, are we almost there? Or you're out in the kitchen baking a cake, and there's your daughter jumping up and down. The birthday party is coming. Mommy, I can't wait. Or maybe you have surgery coming up. And you can't wait either. You can't wait to get it over with. Waiting is part of human life. And many times can be difficult. We all have struggle waiting. I do, you do, we all do in different kinds of situations. The topic assigned to me today in Exodus, the first chapter, we're beginning Exodus, is slavery in Egypt, prophecy fulfilled. When I saw that title, the first thing that came to my mind was waiting. There was a prophecy made 400 years before time. And the prophecy included slavery. It was prophecy about a promised land. But it was also prophesying slavery. The children of Israel had to wait not only many years, but they had to wait through slavery before they could get to the promised land. We finished the book of Exodus, Genesis, and we're beginning in the book of Exodus. The two are very much tied together. Exodus begins where Genesis leaves off, except that there's 400 years between them. In Genesis, God had told Abraham that he was going to make a great nation out of him. But he said, um, you know, you're not going to inherit this land now. This land's not going to be inherited for 400 years. And your descendants are going to go into another nation and they're going to be slaves there. And so the book of Exodus begins. It is silent about most of those years. And it begins when, except for the first few verses, it begins with their being in slavery. Dennis brought us an excellent message last week from the last chapter of Genesis. And the question was, does God really work everything for good? He brought some interesting points. Of course, that point comes from Joseph, because Joseph recognized that all the suffering he went through was for a good purpose. And Joseph also was looking way into the future, because he was telling them to keep his bones, because they were going to carry them out of Egypt at some time, which is way in the future. And Dennis brought up a couple of good points about uh, God working everything to good. He said, you know, the good might not even be for you. The good for the bad that's happening to you might be for somebody else. And then he several times brought up the point that Joseph could see beyond the coffin. And that we also should see beyond the coffin. In other words, the good that is promised, the good that we look for, might not even be in this life. It might be in the future. 
My message today is complementary to Dennis's message, but from a different perspective. From his perspective was looking beyond the grave, looking beyond the coffin, and even that the good that happens to you might be for somebody else. My perspective today is on waiting. We have to wait. And what was happening to the children of Israel as we open the book of Exodus in the first chapter, most of it is about their being slaves. Of course, we could talk about slavery. We could also talk about abortion, infanticide, that the nurses there in Egypt, they weren't about to do what the king had said and kill the newborn babies. So the things like that that we could talk about. But as I said, what popped into my mind was the matter of waiting, the matter of how many years were involved here and the bad was going on before the good would come. And so let's examine waiting in the Bible, uh, both with some instances that some of them are well known in Scripture, some not as well known. And then look into our everyday life today on the matter of waiting, whether it's waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, waiting for prophecy to be fulfilled, or simply waiting to do things the way God wants us to do those things. And we'll start with Genesis and Exodus. We'll start with Abraham that we've studied in Genesis. Abraham had some real waiting to do. When he was 75 years old, you know, most people feel life is about over. By the time they get to 75, his was just beginning at 75. And God told him to go to another land. And God promised him that he was going to make a great nation out of him. Well, that's fine. All you need is some children. Didn't have any. 75 years old. And Abraham waited and waited and waited. For 10 years, he waited. He was 85. Still no children. How is it going to be a great nation out of me if I don't even have one child? So Abraham and Sarah get the idea of taking their servant, Hagar, and having a child through Hagar in order to help God out and get this promise going. Well, as you know, God didn't agree with that situation. And so here's Abraham waiting again, year after year after year. And he waits more than 10 years. God comes to him. He's going to make a great nation out of him. And you know what? Sarah's going to have a child. Well, you know, Sarah laughed at that. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> she denied that she laughed at it. And Abraham said, God, um, my son, 
He's in his teenage now. Let Ishmael be the one. God said, no. And finally, when Abraham was 99 years old, or 100 by the time he was born, in other words, Abraham waited 25 years until he was 100 years old to have one child of his own through Sarah in order to just begin the promise to make a great nation out of him. He had some trouble waiting. Who wouldn't? Early in the book of Exodus that we're beginning today, Moses, we're told in the New Testament that Moses had the idea that God was going to deliver the children of Israel through him. We don't know just how he got that idea, but he had that idea. And he went out and he tried to straighten out something of an Egyptian who was badly treating an Israelite. And he ended up killing the Egyptian in the process. Pharaoh found out about it. And Moses took off. And here he was out in the desert. Well, not completely desert, but wilderness as it were. Caring for sheep. Gets married out there. He was 40 years old when that happened. And I imagine that Moses wasn't waiting anymore. Because after 40 more years, he's 80 now, God comes to him and God tells him he's got to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And he makes all kinds of excuses. He's done. He couldn't wait until it was in God's time. Or also in the book of Exodus, we have the time when Moses went up into the mountain, Sinai, in order to receive commandments, all kinds of instructions from Almighty God. And most of you will remember he was up there for 40 days and the children of Israel couldn't wait any longer. Where's Moses? We don't know what's happened to him. He's gone. Let's make God's to lead us. And so they make a golden calf. They couldn't wait for Moses to come down. Then jumping out of Genesis and Exodus, we come to a time when King Saul was ruling over the children of Israel. And Samuel, there's an enemy, the Philistines, that are threatening them. And Samuel had told Saul to wait for seven days. And then Saul and Samuel would come and offer sacrifice with him. Samuel waited seven days, at least a part of the seventh day. And Samuel hadn't come. Did I say Samuel before? Anyway, it was Saul. Waited. And Samuel didn't show up. And so Saul, not authorized by God, offers the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. And when Samuel comes and asks him what he has done in 1 Samuel 13, Saul says, Therefore I said, 
Now the Philistines will come down on me to Gilgal, and I haven't entreated the favor of the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. I forced myself. I wasn't supposed to do it, but I'm afraid of the Philistines here, and I need God's favor, and I can't wait any longer for Samuel to come. So I forced myself to go ahead and do what I wasn't supposed to do. In Jeremiah 29, we have a very interesting verse, a beautiful verse, a badly misused verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope and a future. You've probably seen plaques of that and uh, sometimes given in graduation, sometimes given at other times and everything. Beautiful, the thoughts that I have for you of peace and not evil to give you hope and a future. Wonderful. As is so often the case, people don't look at the context. Just the verse before, we don't even have to dig way back. The verse before, verse 10 says, This says the Lord, after 70 years... Did you hear that? Seventy years are accomplished for Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace, not evil, hope, and a future. After seventy years. Now you go to the context a little bit earlier and there were false prophets who were saying that they were going to be able to go back to Jerusalem right away. And God says, no, build houses, plant vineyards, get married, have children. In other words, settle down, folks, because you're going to be here for 70 years. You know what 70 years means? That means a lot of the people receiving this promise would be dead by that time. It would only be a handful of those who survived the whole 70 years and went back from Babylon. So the plans that God speaks of in Jeremiah 29.11 have to do for many of them they're not even going to experience it. It's a plan that God had for that nation of what was going to take place after 70 years. And the false prophets were trying to persuade them that they're going to go back soon. They didn't want to wait. But God says, you're going to wait. You're going to wait for 70 years. We jump forward to the book of Malachi, where the Old Testament closes. The Messiah had been promised many times. 
the Messiah, the Messianic kingdom. It hadn't come. And once again, just like the space basically between Genesis and Exodus is 400 years, so between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years. And the people were waiting and waiting and waiting until the Messiah came. It was in God's own time. And the children of Israel had to learn to wait. Jesus tells the account of the ten virgins, and most of you know that account. I'm not going to go to the text and read it. And we read that and study it and preach it and to be ready when Jesus comes. You know, the five wise virgins, they were ready. The foolish virgins were not ready. And so if you're not ready for Jesus to come, why get ready right now? But that's not the message of that account. The message of that account is wrapped up in two words. The bridegroom delayed. You think about that account, you think about it, if the bridegroom had come right away, all ten would have gone in. What was the problem with the five? They weren't prepared for the long haul. They weren't prepared to wait. That was their problem. And so there are various examples in Scripture, whether it's directly prophecy or whether it's a matter of doing God's will, of people having a struggle in waiting. Well, let's get to our everyday lives. And let me pick out one that's not specifically in Scripture and not specifically a command, but, but an example of young people who can't wait to finish their education. They want to get a job now. And so they drop out of school. Not realizing well that by dropping out of school, most likely for the rest of their life, they're going to be sad, sorry that they did that. Because there are many jobs that will be offered that if they just had that paper, diploma, they could get a job and without it, they can't. But they couldn't wait. They want to start making money and didn't want to do more schoolwork. Just an example in everyday life. But let's get more serious. God created male and female. And God declared that a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In Hebrews 13.4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled. But God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. In other words, we've got marriage on the one hand, sexual immorality 
on the other hand, and hundreds and thousands of young people today can't wait. Can't wait to have sex. They mess around and play around, and before you know it, there they are. They've messed up their lives. They couldn't wait. That's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But God says that sexual relations is for marriage. And God intends people to wait until marriage, even if it's difficult, before they have sexual relations. Or it might be something in the church like appointing an elder and people had trouble waiting for that. Well, 1 Timothy 5, there's a section there that's talking about elders and so I believe and I think most others understand it the same way that the words that I'm going to read in verse 22 apply to the matter of setting elders aside because it's in the context of elders and what you do with elders. And it says, lay hands hastily on no one. Laying hands, setting elders apart, is not something to be done hastily. So some waiting is involved to do it in God's way. Turning to a different issue. Do you own a covet card? <laughs> yeah. You usually call it a charge card, right? But think about it for a moment. I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a credit card. But think about it for a moment. A credit card makes it so easy to buy something you don't have the money for. Now, I don't know about you. You can think about it. But to me, that's an example of coveting. You put something in your house you don't have the money for. You want it. You want it now. You can't wait. Now, I know there, there are things that we can't wait for. If your refrigerator breaks down, why, you need to get a new one, you know. But maybe it's just your sofa is kind of old and smudged up a little bit and, and not as comfortable as you'd like it. And, oh, it's on sale. I'm going to save money. Yeah, you're going to save money by buying it on time and paying interest for it. You know why all the companies want to give you a credit card, right? Because they want to take your money away. They want you to buy things on interest so that they can make money off of you. I'm not saying it's wrong to have one. Definitely not. But it's a matter of how you use it. It is a shame how many people in the United States are so deeply in debt. They get laid off from their job. 
and some of them file for bankruptcy, they're done. Why? Because they filled their lives with things that they could have waited for. But they didn't want to wait. They want it now. Now, like when the new iPhone comes out and people line up from midnight because they want to be the first to get it. Yeah, advertisers know how human beings are. Want it now. Instead of waiting until you actually have the money for it. In Proverbs 28.20, it says that one who is eager to be rich will not go unpunished. Eager to be rich will not go unpunished. We could certainly think of gambling there. That's what happens when people gamble. They want to get rich quick. Eager to get rich. And I think we can apply that to our lives. People want to get rich in terms of possessions in their house. They want to get them right now. I'll pay for it in time. Instead of waiting until they've got the money and then buying it. Then there's a matter of vengeance. You may well be acquainted with the scripture in Romans, the 12th chapter, that tells us not to take vengeance, to give place to God's wrath. But there's a companion verse that to me is interesting because of how it fits into what we're talking about. Proverbs 20, 22. Don't say, I will pay back evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. In Romans, it doesn't use the word wait, but of course, that's, that's what's involved there. But the Proverbs passage uses the word wait. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Let God take care of it. And you just wait. God might not take care of it until the judgment day. Whenever it is that God takes care of it, wait for him. And of course, the ultimate wait in Genesis and Exodus is wait to for the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land, because God promised it to his people. But they had to wait and wait and wait before they were able to go to that land. As we've said, people had to wait and wait and wait years decades, centuries before God brought his Messiah into the world. And today we are waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for Jesus to come again. And sometimes the wait is hard. But we've got to wait. There are many passages that talk about that, but uh, let's look at Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning with verse 23. 
Not only so, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. They're talking about some of the miseries that can come in our life. Groan within ourselves, waiting for adoption, the redemption of our body, which isn't going to take place until Jesus comes again. We, we've got these physical bodies with all of their ailments and difficulties. We've got them now. There is coming the redemption of our body when we are raised spiritually with spiritual bodies. But it says here, we're waiting. For if we, for we were saved in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for that which he sees? But if we hope for that which we don't see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. I do want to make an important point here about waiting. Waiting doesn't mean that you do nothing. You're just sitting around and just folding your hands and waiting. Waiting in Scripture doesn't involve that. There are things to do in the meantime. Right things to do and wrong things not to do. Jesus tells about the uh, masters that he put over a house. And the master says, well, my, my master is not coming for a long time. So he starts getting drunk and beating his, the, those that are under him and so forth. You see, the, the, the coming, his coming Lord was way off, and so he acted wickedly. There are others who just sit around and, and do nothing. You know what? How many times have you sat in a waiting room, waiting for the doctor, and you fuss? Why do I have to wait for him? Is he more important than me? I got important stuff to do too. You ever take with you something to read? And if you have, you've noticed that, oh, I didn't finish this chapter yet. Now I got to go in. <laughs> the waiting is a lot shorter. You're doing something. So our, our whole message about waiting is not sitting around doing nothing. We're doing the proper things in the meantime while we're waiting for whatever it is that we're waiting for. Life is a waiting room. A favorite psalm of mine is Psalm 37. I turn to it many times. Psalm 37. It begins out with don't fret because of evildoers. And I go to this psalm not because I have people that are giving me a hard time persecuting me or, or just saying bad things or whatever it is. I don't go to the psalm for that because I don't have those kind of enemies around. Maybe I should have, but I don't. But it's the first words, don't fret. Because I do fret about this and that and the other. 
and I suppose that all of you do also fret about one thing or another. And then verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, and repeats, trust in the Lord. And then verse 7, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Don't fret. Life is a waiting room. The big wait, of course, is for Jesus to come. And every generation practically has said, well, he, he's going to come now. And he hasn't yet. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're still waiting. But in the process, there's a lot of other waiting, like we've talked about. Waiting to do things God's way. Not rushing to do things our own way. But waiting for God's way to be done. Life is a waiting room. The children of Israel, as Exodus opens, were waiting to go to the promised land. In their wait, the other thing that was also promised was slavery. A bad time while they were waiting. So whether it's good times while we're waiting or bad times while we're waiting, and whether we're talking about waiting for Jesus to come again, or we're talking about waiting and whatever particular thing, there are all kinds of times in life where we got to wait for something. Whatever it is, let's wait for God. Let's wait for God to do what he says he's going to do. Let's wait to do things God's way. This whole thing of waiting is one aspect of patience. And you know that patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so whatever's happening in your life and my life, in these days, let's grow in patience. Let's learn to wait for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you do keep your word. But sometimes it's not nearly as fast as we would like it to be. Help us each one, God, in those situations where we have to wait, to be patient, to learn to wait, even if it's bad that comes before the good. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you fulfill your word. Thank you that we can turn to you, to trust you.
to serve you, to live for you. Thank you that we can be your children. Help us, God, to be patient children, to learn to wait on you. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you all.